Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast where an academy graduate has come on and scored an extra time winner in the FA Cup to send United through to the quarterfinal. When you put it like that, it sounds like the stuff of dreams and something every United fan can get behind and be excited about. Larry, it was far from that, I think, judging by the reaction. Unfortunately, Tom, I'm ready to go back to bed just from... And it could be a lack of sleep, but it could also be because that was one really boring game of football. Um, but look, in the grand concept, or the grand context, I should say, um, it's a goal, like you said, it's a local boy, scores a winner in an FA Cup game to send us into the quarterfinals. The result's all that matters, so I just say we crack on. I think we always have this debate. Like, it seems to be the third round, fourth round, and obviously this one, the fifth round. Whatever happens, whether we go on to win the FA Cup or we don't win the FA Cup, we always sort of get these results in the middle of the season. And I think the correct answer is always the, always at the end when everyone says, well, if we go on to win the FA Cup, is anyone going to remember a fifth round against um, West Ham? Is anyone going to remember a third round 1-0 win against Watford? You don't remember these games, so I don't think there is any real point in getting worked up. But I've seen so much emotion and so much frustration sort of sent towards the manager and sent towards the players after this performance. But again, you just have to look, sit back and look at the facts. We've qualified, we've gone through, job done. 100% mate um, <laughs> Look I'm not going to be in a rush to rewatch that football match I don't know about you um, But like we've said you know, the, the result is all that counts And should we go on to lift up the trophy In, in Wembley come May No one's going to look back and remember this football match So why are we dwelling so hard about it right now You know what I mean Yeah no definitely We'll just we'll, we'll, we'll quickly skip over the game Because as you say there was literally almost nothing to talk about and that comes down to, there's no hiding from the fact it was a so-called boring match and definitely was sort of uninspiring at times. And I completely agree with that and it's valid. However, I also look at it and think, I thought United were very good. United were good. People need to remember there are two sides to a game of football. There's generally one team in the ascendancy, which is what United were trying to do. And then there's also the other side, which... That's why we have defenders and a goalkeeper and you need to break them down to score a goal. If United didn't have anyone in front of them and scored 20 goals every game, we wouldn't be very entertained, would we? So at the end of the day, there are two sides in a game of football. West Ham, for, you know what, I have to say, I, I cannot understand what their tactics were. They didn't set up to counter. They just set up to shut up, stop it and stop United from scoring anything. And you have to say for a large part of the match, they, they clearly were successful in doing that. But when you have a team who sits with three defensive midfielders and I think they had a three-man defense, it was so compact. Like, what do you want Manchester United to do? You, you could have all, all the brilliant... You can't say Oli did anything wrong. He put Van der Beek there. He had Martial. He had Rashford. He had Greenwood. Lots of attacking players. But it was difficult. And I think any football side who versed West Ham today would have struggled. So United played well. I can't actually be too critical, to be honest. I think that's the thing you mentioned there, the three defensive midfielders, and I think they've just played one up front, a player I don't even think I've even heard of. It might have been an early game in his career sort of thing. So we definitely weren't troubled. And you say, what was the tactics behind sort of David Moyes' approach? And it was almost like, and look, the very well might have been something different, but just from the outlook, it looked like he was playing for penalties from the first minute of the game. It felt like it, yeah. But there was just absolutely no intent. It wasn't like a park the bus or we've seen sort of textbook park the bus before they weren't actually that deep but it was just just no intent it was like okay here are our defenders there there's our attacker up there if we get the ball to him let's see what happens but we're not expecting anything um let's just worry about sort of sort of making the space as minimal as possible 
And we'll get into Donnie van der Beek's performance in a little bit because it has caused a little bit of discussion. But that's where I can't really criticise van der Beek too much because where he was playing on the field, and it's a similar thing happened against Liverpool in the FA Cup. It's unfortunate, but it just wasn't the game for him. And it's unfortunate because it's the only game Solskjaer can actually fit him in at the moment. So it's a bit of a catch-22, but um, we'll get into Donny van der Beek's performance um, in a little bit. But um, yeah, I think I completely agree with what you're saying there, that we always look at United's point of view, and 100% correct to do so, in terms of we should have done that or we should have done that. But West Ham are there. The West Ham are a team of professional footballers. Look, at, look, I'm definitely not saying he's worth this price tag, but there's a £100 million footballer on the other side in Declan Rice. Now, of course, he isn't not worth that, but if United go in for him in the summer, he's going to cost £100 million. So if an opposition has that type of quality on their on their sort of playing roster and on the field, that's going to be a hard team to beat. Yeah, mate, they got good players. Soyek's a good player. Bowen's a good player. They didn't set up to attack. Are they fifth in the league? Are they fifth in the league or sixth? They're fifth or? In the, they are fifth in the league. And that's the thing. Like, this is a good football side. United can't just turn up. This isn't the late noughties, early 2000s, where United can just turn up and bitch slap whoever they verse. At the end of the day, the, and we, we can all sit here and admit, this United side, while the depth has improved, the starting eleven isn't isn't vintage Manchester United. You're not swapping, with, with all due respect, Scott McTominay or Nemanja Matic for Roy Keane, uh, or the or other way around, I should say. And, and that's the thing. This is the reality. This team, while improving, isn't the finished article. So we can't complain when you have teams, good teams like West Ham, with lots of money, just like every other Premier League side nowadays, come and give United some trouble. And at the end of the day, we got the result. So I have to say, like. I won't be watching the game again, but I'm definitely thrilled with the result. It's a good outcome. Yeah, no, definitely. And as I say, there wasn't too much actually talk about in the game besides the McTominay goal, but we'll get into McTominay's performance in a little bit. But we might as well sort of cross off the three two ones nice and early. And again, an FA Cup win, an extra time win at Old Trafford, go through to the next round. It should be a very positive feel. But the three two one's a little bit tricky. It almost feels like a flat draw or even a disappointing defeat in terms of looking for sort of standout performances almost has that scrape in the barrel feel, but a um, bit of a discussion. I'll throw three points to you. Um, I, th- I think it's definite for me, but um, I'll go to you first. Well, I don't care how long he was on the pitch for. I'm giving it to Scott McTominay because he scored the damn goal. Yeah, no, that, that's my reasoning for it. And again, I don't think it sort of, sort of changed the game. United were dominant throughout. But yeah, something different. And in terms of the way we do sort of value these three points, it is the man of the match who was... yeah. The, the man you sort of look to and Scott McTominay obviously got all the headlines and for a winning goal rightly so so yeah definitely three points for McTominay how about two? Oh, don't put all the pressure on me mate please feel free to put, feel free to contribute to the conversation I think it's a hard one look he kind of frustrated me but I thought Tellers was just something different I thought Tellers played well I think he just lacked a little bit of I wouldn't say fitness or sharpness, sharpness. No, yeah, sharpness is probably the right thing but maybe more just like a rhythm, just off, just on a different wavelength to some of the players. Oh, he, he makes that run. He, I thought he was going to make that run sort of thing. Okay, next time I'll know. And I think that is comes down to a bit of rustiness of not playing. And that is, we've sort of praised Solskjaer for his rotation in the past, but we've also criticised it in regards to the players who aren't playing. When they come in for their chance to impress, like a Tellers, like a Van der Beek, they've been out for so long. We want to see a great performance. We want to see them take their chance but it's not a great environment for them to come into if they've missed six weeks of football and suddenly they have 90 minutes to impress. It's not ideal for them, but I thought Teller's played quite well. 
No, I agree with you, mate. I, I thought he actually was really good. Um, and while it didn't come off for him, I, I like his enthusiasm and I like the way he approaches his football. He looks to attack. He looks to cross early. Uh, and that's something that you have to say, yes, it didn't come off today, but with more game time and his teammates knowing to understand what he's trying to do and him also learning what runs that his teammates make, he'll definitely prove his worth, Tellez. And, you know, just for pushing Shaw on, um, you know, I'm grateful for, for his signing. So, yeah, I'm happy to give the Brazilian two points. Now, I would throw one point to you again. However, I want to throw this name out there because I don't think many people will agree. It'll be interesting to get your take because we haven't discussed this yet. He got pelters online, uh, which seems to happen every single week now. But I thought Anthony Martial was sort of decent. Maybe not for a point. I maybe lean towards Mason Greenwood more, maybe for a point. But um, I thought Anthony Martial was quite good today while he has got pelters online for some reason. Yeah, I think Tony's just suffering from a case of... Unfortunately, in the context of the season, he, he's not played well. He's not put lots of goals in the back of the net. Um, he's just suffering from the fact that fans have such short memories. You're only as good as your last game, you know? And yeah, he scored two goals just over a week ago, but no one cares anymore. They've moved on from that. And it's it's disappointing for him. For the one point, I'm actually leaning towards Mason. I, I thought out of that front three, I actually thought Mason was... The most dangerous. Um, I understand what you're saying about Martial, and you know that there's not many bigger Anthony Martial fans than myself. But I, I think he didn't. His 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 game as a striker was good. He comfortable back to goal, link up play good, but didn't look threatening. Uh, for me, Mason was the one who had the clearest of opportunities, albeit very limited opportunities uh, for all players involved. So. Um, you know, and Mason, taking that into account, he's the one with the least experience. He shouldn't be the most dangerous on the pitch. I thought, you know, without going too hard, I think, and this is a, actually a constant problem for me with Marcus Rashford and a reason why I personally don't believe he'll ever achieve that world-class level. His all-round game in a match of 90 minutes isn't great. And I, this wasn't the game for any attacking player. No one was great. But Rashford lacks that quality at times and he's got the assist today but you have to say a lot of luck has gone into that goal so it's more a praise of McTominay for me um but I, I digress on that point but yeah for me I'm, I'm leaning towards Mason for the one point yeah no it's hard to argue and so we'll definitely agree with the point but we'll definitely get into Rashford Martial as our sort of last point on the podcast but I think we can probably agree with that McTominay Tellez and Greenwood for the three two ones this week um, not many comments today. Obviously, I think the game sent everyone back to sleep. But um, just dealing with these three two ones was McTominay, Tellez, and Anthony Martial. So quite similar to us. And George, who's been on the podcast, goes interested to see if you guys think that by sticking with Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, and Maguire in the FA Cup shows that Oli has clear intentions to win it rather than rotate his squad. I look at that and look, it's a fair question, but I think who else plays? Who else plays it right back? Obviously, Brandon Williams did come on, but sort of that was with sort of the hindsight of extra time. So, okay, there's a sort of spanner in the works. Let's give one Bissaka a rest. But at centre-back, if it's not Lindelof and Maguire, unless you're throwing two ones AB in, um, who else is there really to rotate? No, exactly. Uh, Phil Jones is returning to fitness. Eric Bay is injured, and unfortunately, we, we knew this was coming. And with all due respect, like, I, I love Axel, but... 
I, I'm concerned the ship has sailed. That point in his career where we said he could be world-class, he copped a lot of injuries in that time, unfortunately, for him. And I just wonder now, how old is Axel? Around 24, I want to yeah, say? Yeah, it must be closing in on mid-20s, late to, sort of that, yeah, 23, 24, I'm guessing. Unfortunately, his injury record... You know, you have to play a lot of football at these crucial early stages of your career. If he doesn't get a good amount of football in now, I just worry if that world-class potential that he had, it can still be fulfilled. I have my doubts. I hope I'm dead wrong, obviously, but we've seen him when he's come in recently. He's been very shaky, and for him to really get a good level of confidence, he'd need to be playing week in, week out. And if you don't take your opportunities, it's not up to the manager to... You know, it's not a charity. He can't just give you minutes. Um, I think Bayi's been excellent when he's come in, but unfortunately, in terms of reliability, he's not fit. So take George's point, but I don't think, like you say, Tom, there's not really much to bring in. I think Solskjaer maybe is almost, I would say, happy to do so, but he's almost content with it because while Solskjaer will be happy with top four qualification and sort of, sort of making the Glazers happy in that regard... Solskjaer definitely will need a bit of silverware, whether it comes this year, next year, or God knows how long it takes before um, he eventually moves on. He will need a trophy, and look, now we're in the quarterfinals. One more win and you go off to Wembley in the semifinals and anything can happen. So, yeah, I think Solskjaer, while top four isn't safe this season, it can very well change. One loss in the league and West Ham winning the league, and suddenly the top four looks a hell of a lot different. But I think Solskjaer will definitely be looking at the FA Cup as... um, an avenue for a trophy this oh, season. Oh, look, I, I think the Glazers will be happy anyway. They, they seem to win a trophy this yeah. week, so... Yeah, no, enough of that. But, um, yes, <laughs> that, that, that was an interesting debate where you see them on the field with the trophy, giving interviews, and, yeah, you saw the, the Munich match and not one Glazer was present for that, so... Disappointing. Podcast, podcast for another day. Um, yeah. But Scott McTominay, who, who is in the title of this podcast... I don't maybe I don't fully agree with this statement, but is he our best slash most important midfielder? I think it's an interesting debate because we've had it with Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne. We sit here and say, well, Kevin De Bruyne is a better footballer, but is Bruno better because like he impacts the games more? What, what is better, a better footballer or someone who influences games more? And it's an interesting debate. But I look at Scott McTominay, and I think every other midfielder, and I don't count Bruno as the midfielder, but every other midfielder, so Matic, Fred, uh, Pogba, and Van der Beek are all better footballers than Scott McTominay. So they've all got more ability than Scott McTominay for, for sure. But I look at it and think what Scott McTominay contributes, one, inconsistency, which he has over Paul Pogba. One, he's never injured. Um, he plays, he's got that physical strength, his attitude. And at this season, what he's shown in goals and contribution to goals and performances and results, I wouldn't argue if someone was saying Scott McTominay was, quote-unquote, our best midfielder. I think this phrase of best or most effective, it's a more recent thing for me. Because if you think of United, I know you get sick of hearing this, but hear me out. When when we had that, that in my opinion, the best United side I've seen was that 2007-8 side. Um, and you look at it and you thought when a certain player didn't play, you could always bring someone else in. You had Michael Carrick and Paul Scholes, but then you also had players like, you know, you had your Darren Fletchers who could come in. If you want to rewind earlier when you had the Paul Scholes and Roy Keynes of the world, you also had Nicky Butts who could come in. And the reason you had those quality players was Nicky Butt would still chip in with goals. Darren Fletcher still chipped in with goals. 
And that's the thing. It's because when you have these... And look, of course, Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes are better footballers than Scott McTominay. But the reason you want to have that depth or the quality of depth in your squad is when you can pull these players out because burnout is a real thing and these guys aren't machines as much as Twitter wants to believe otherwise. When you bring them out, you can put players like Scott McTominay in who will go on a run and score a couple goals, which we're seeing. Um, you know, that's 3-3 three and three now at Old Trafford and 3-3 three and three in the last... Three consecutive games he scored. So fantastic for the Scotsman. But that doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't change the limitations in his game. But I will praise him for obviously delivering. He's scoring the goals. He scored what we thought to be the winner against Everton. And he scores the winner today. So full credit to McTominay. But is he our best midfielder or most effective midfielder? Still for me, the answer is no. Do you think we have to look at, and we all sit here as fans with different opinions and we're fully entitled to these opinions, but we do have to sort of hold weight on sort of the experts' opinions of the people who have played the game at that level. And we look at it and Jose Mourinho absolutely loved the guy. Sir Alex Ferguson obviously speaks very highly of him, whether that's a Scottish thing, I'm not quite sure, but obviously a big fan of him. Solskjaer has placed full trust and full backing behind McTominay over players like Paul Pogba. These are three top-of-the-line people in football all absolutely love Scott McTominay. Do we need to start giving him a bit more credit than we're giving him? Oh, I mean, look, it is subjective, right? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm What I'm saying is I like Scott McTominay, but for me, is he a starting midfielder in a premiership-winning Manchester United side? The answer is no. And, and nothing he does between now and when we ever win the Premiership League again, is going to change my opinion of that. Um, because he's got limitations in his game. If you actually look at the Everton match, and again, I feel like an asshole saying this because he just scored the winner in the FA Cup, but if I'm answering your question, his passing at, at times in the Everton match, when put under pressure, misplacing passes, simple passes, he doesn't have the vision to pass from deep. He's got the work rate and he's got excellent leadership and you can rely on him to do a job. He's also six foot three, so that's why Jose Mourinho liked him. The reason that Solskjaer and Mourinho like Scott McTominay is because he's reliable. He doesn't get injured, he puts his head down, and he's got a fantastic attitude. Whatever job you give him to do, whether he's not afraid to get his hands dirty, he'll put in a shift for you. You can't take that away, you know. When you don't have the class or the effort, you can... Sorry, the, the class or, you know, it's just not coming off for you, you, you can always put in effort. Nothing compensates for effort. Scott McTominay will give you that every game, and that is why he's relied upon. Whereas when Paul Pogba or Anthony Martial are not having good games, the the gap between their best and worst is massive, and I think that's the key, and that's why he's trusted. Yeah, no, all fair points. And going on now to, obviously, Scott McTominay was the man of the match, and not as a criticism, but someone who definitely wasn't man of the match, but obviously a lot of the headlines are still surrounding him in Donny van der Beek. We, got it, we touched on at the start of the podcast that it just wasn't a game for him. West Ham were parking the bus. Any number 10 would little f- sort of find it difficult to get involved. I think his best moments, he had to drift out wide to sort of reach the ball or get involved in the play. But more want to revert the discussion to sort of Solskjaer now because Paul Pogba was injured, so it was almost the perfect opportunity to throw Van der Beek in. Okay, here's his chance. Pogba's injured. Okay, go on. Sort of make, sort of take your spot. Steal it from Pogba. That's going to be my position now. But he hasn't, look, unfortunately, and it just he has to deal with the cards that he's been given that was given in the game, unfortunately, is against a team who parked the bus in West Ham. He didn't take his chance. Now, how does Solskjaer approach this now? Does he sort of realise, OK, tough situation, first game in a while coming in, it's going to be a tricky situation, let's give him another go? 
or is Solskjaer going to go, you know what, that's probably why I haven't been playing him. Okay, come back on the bench for a couple of weeks and we'll see if we can fit you in sometime later. So just how do you think Solskjaer approaches the van der Beek situation now after seeing that performance against West Ham? I feel sorry for van der Beek, but in saying that, like I mentioned with Axel, it's not a charity. You know, you have to take your chances. What you can't excuse him for is he, he looked knackered. I, I don't know if I'm imagining yeah, things. He, he looked physically not fit. And, and again, not a criticism of him, but he hasn't been playing. No. But it, yeah, it simply looked he wasn't fit. But that's it. And what we just said about Scott McTominay, he can come in after a long layoff, put in, and you know, prior to this season, he wasn't starting every week. But he can't, every time he's come in, he looks fit, he looks sharp, he's ready to go. Van de Beek, you know, if you're not playing, and I get it, you need match rhythm, can totally relate to all of that. But he hasn't, he hasn't looked fantastic. I think in any game that he's played in, he's, he's looked okay at best. He's never looked like he's dominating a game or put, putting his mark on a match. And with that, you need, okay, if, if that's not coming off of you, you need to have the fitness. He's lacking in those two areas, Tom. So what does Solskjaer do? Like you know what I mean? He, I think he has a future at Manchester United. I'm sure he'll get it right. But for Van der Beek, he just needs to work hard. He needs to work hard and keep his head down, and his opportunity will come. And I, he definitely has the ability to take it. But if you're Solskjaer, you have to keep doing what you're doing. When you have Scott McTominay's and Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba's, and to a lesser extent Fred, playing much better, unfortunately the Dutchman's going to miss out. Yeah, look, look, it's a tricky one, and I completely agree in regards to... He, I'm quite patient with the Van der Beek situation. A lot of people are saying, oh, if, okay, if he doesn't play this week, Solskjaer's going to sell him, get rid of him, just label him a flop and move on. I'm, as you say, I'm quite confident he will get his chance in terms of what I mean by a chance. He will get three months in the season. Whether that comes through a couple of injuries or he turns around a little bit of form and sort of earns his spot that way. But um, it is just... It almost feels like I always go back to sort of football narratives and the way sort of just narratives sort of play out, and it just has a bad feel about it. Almost, I remember when Fred came in, it was there was an inevitability that Fred was going to get a chance, but with Van der Beek, it just I don't know. There's something about I don't know if the media has changed and the media sort of looking to sort of pin a bad sign in on Solskjaer and say, look, he's got this one wrong. How can they trust him with more funds? And they can start spinning that, and that sort of pressure will sort of weigh on Solskjaer and definitely weigh on Van der Beek, the player himself. So it is an interesting one. Again, I don't think he was bad today. It's just, it just an unfortunate set of circumstances how he finds himself in the team um, out for so long. You just hope he gets a game like... Who, who would you like to play? Maybe against Leeds. You'd like to see him at home against Leeds. In, for Can I minutes. ask you, if, if you look at... Because like, he was clearly playing number 10 today and I thought... Like, you said it earlier. It wasn't the match for him, right? It wasn't the match for any attacking player. But... Do you think he might benefit from a game where, you know, he can play in, say, uh, that number eight position or a two-man pivot where he can actually just get on the ball as opposed to being back to goal today where you haven't played a lot of football and when you're... Rel- and, you know, Donny's relying on those tight passes, flick, uh, you know, doing flicks and tricks. And I just wonder, when you haven't played a lot of football, maybe that's not the most comfortable place to be. Maybe if, if he's deployed a little bit deeper where he can actually just get on the ball, complete some passes, and if he puts his eyes, puts his head up and a long ball is on or can slice a ball through, do you think that might be better for him just in terms of getting his confidence back? Yeah, well, well I think that's the thing with, I mentioned just there with Leeds. If you give him a game where there's going to be a little bit more space, obviously Leeds sort of bomb forward. So in that transition, 
he'll have a lot more space for the move with the ball. And in regards to that, if you do play him a little bit deeper, regardless of the opposition, even if it's against a West Ham, if you play him deeper, he will get more touches on the ball. And my one criticism of Solskjaer against West Ham was that the way the game was playing out and how clear West Ham's approach was, I didn't see the need for two sitting midfielders. Now, obviously, when McTominay came in, he got forward a little bit more and obviously got the winning goal by a sort of bombing forward. But there was no doubt our setup was sort of, I wouldn't say defensive midfielders, but two sort of sitting midfielders. And again, West Ham just offered nothing. So there was, from a defensive point of view, there was no need for it. Well, I think you definitely could have got rid of a 10 and played two weights in, um, whether that be McTominay and Van der Beek or Van der Beek and Bruno. I think you could have sort of had those ball players around him. But when he's the sole creator in that role, when it was Matic and Fred, and his sort of sole um, outlet for creativity is Donny van der Beek in a sort of really confined space, which West Ham were using, yeah, it's not ideal. But if you play, you look at van der Beek's best performances this season, they've come with, unfortunately, the missing man, wherever on earth one matter is, I have no idea. But when you play him in and around those plays, you get a lot of touches on the ball, get the ball, move it, get the ball, move it and get as many touches as you can. That's when Donny van der Beek looks good, but when he's playing by himself in that role and goes five, six, seven minutes without touching the ball, then suddenly the ball gets fired into him where he has four or five players around him. And including that, I say again, a £100 million player in Declan Rice, an experienced player in Mark Noble, and they had another defensive midfielder in there as well. It's just not ideal for van der Beek, and I did feel for him. Yeah, look, all valid points. I don't think there's a right or wrong in this case. Um, hopefully he gets more football, but look, if I'm being purely subjective and removing any emotional investment from it, I don't think he's been taking his opportunities. In my opinion, he needs to do a bit better. Oh, yeah, look, at the end of the day, your players do need to take responsibility, and you're right, he has to, next time he gets his chance, whether that's against West Brom or not, he needs to take it. Um, you do have to play with the cards you've been dealt but um, just to wrap up the podcast, an interesting one. I don't know how this stat came about. It's actually crazy when you think about it. Um, Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford both reached 250 appearances on the same day. And I looked at when they... Um, in the same game, sorry. And I looked at when they started. And yeah, it was the same season. So Martial came in the start of the season. And obviously Marcus Rashford came in um, a little bit later. Um, it was around the February time when the Europa League kicked in. So they are have been around for the same amount of time, pretty much. And... I look at it and think, take away all the sort of controversy and all the hype around Martial and Rashford and young players with a lot of potential and all the hype that sort of surrounds that and everything they do is scrutinised. I think just looking at, forget the price tag with Martial, forget how Rashford burst onto the scene with all his goals. Just look at young players coming through at their rage at a big club. I think they've both been fantastic, really, overall. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Definitely. Anthony Martial, twenty-three Definitely frustration with Martial. Look, Rashford probably mm. frustrates me more, but I can see the <laughs> obvious frustration with Martial. But overall, a young player coming up, French player coming into England and performing the way he has done. God, he won Player of the Year for one year with us last year. So he, I think he's done very well. And Marcus Rashford obviously has, um, yeah, he's on his way to becoming a United legend. Yeah, one hundred percent, mate. I, I think the frustration comes from. The club that they're at, uh, and obviously the the players that have you know, um, that that predecessed them. If you look at Wayne Rooney, in Marcus Rashford's case, in Martial's case, and and that's the criticism when when you play for Manchester United, you will always be compared to the legends of the yesteryear. 
when you've played with when we've we've seen Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo's, David Beckham's. Um, this is the problem that they're playing in those attacking positions where so much is expected of you, um, and for both of them, anything less than being part of a side that's winning the Premiership title is considered a failure. And now that's not always the case. I think both would have their their part to play in a title winning side um, with Anthony Martial. You know, I still hold that hope that there's a world beater in there. I, that, I don't know if that's more of a hope thing for me rather than a re- reality thing because his career has shown he, he's inconsistent. Um, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Does he look a bit heavier to you this season than previous seasons? I'm just wondering that maybe he's just not moving as sharply and that's just contributing to his all-round game. Um, I know what you mean by that heavy looks. Look, some of our players have had that in the past. I, I wouldn't say that. I don't think that it's a physical thing. Um, whether it's a fitness thing or an injury thing, I'm not quite sure. Um, it, maybe he doesn't move so much in the middle when he's on the left. You sort of see him open his legs up a little bit more and he has that room to move into. But I think when he is played that central position, he is quite static. I think he's very intelligent in the runs he makes. But for long periods of the game, he is quite static and sort of waits for the game to sort of come to him which mm. yeah, maybe he doesn't look as mobile there, but it's an interesting one. I'll definitely be keeping a look at You know what? Let, let me put this to you, um, because we're talking about their successes, and, and this is a, a bit of a detour, and I mean no disrespect when I ask this question, just a, a, a genuine, honest answer from you. Is Marcus Rashford the, a starting left winger in a premiership-winning side for you? I think so. I, I think maybe not this season, but in terms of you, you, way, you look at the way his career is going, I can definitely see um, a player of his quality, his quality, the player of his attributes and sort of contribution. I can see that being. <laughs> I like how, you, how you've tweaked that answer. But, but, but it is. You look at his numbers, you look at the numbers he's producing, both in goals and assists, and they are improving year on year. You have to say yes, because. <laughs> let's throw a right back who's a good right back let's say Trent Alexander-Arnold for example Premier League winning right back does he want to play against Marcus Rashford last thing no, of he course he doesn't do. last thing he wants to do so I do I do think we can see him lining up as, as a Premier League winner on the left wing um, but just I'll throw them back to you in terms of Manchester United we've had this discussion before but not so much now in terms of the, all the information we have at our disposal now and sort of how we've seen their careers progress who do you think, and I think it's almost an obvious answer now, but it'll be interesting, who do you think has the brighter future at United? Uh, it has to be Marcus Rashford. Yeah. It hurts me to say it, um, but all right, I've actually got one for you. If you could get Erling Haaland next season, but it means you have to sell Anthony Martial, do you do it? In regards to the players, just the player, if I'm just dropping a player in there, I'd say Haaland, yes, over Anthony Martial. Because I think that is the type of striker Solskjaer wants. Well, obviously we know that he tried to buy Haaland, for God's sake. So yes, we do know that if it comes with all the baggage in terms of Mino Raiola, I do have to definitely think about it. But yeah, so it's a hard one. In terms of the player, yes, 100%. I'll take Haaland over Martial at the moment. I think you're dancing with the devil with Haaland. Um, you know, you, you would still, you'd still take him, even with Mino Raiola. To turn down a striker who's that lethal in front of goal, you, yeah. you'd be mad not to do it just because of the agent. Yeah, and I think the reason I agree with you that Rashford has the brighter future at United is I just can't see a situation, whether he goes on to have a career in terms of longevity like Ryan Giggs or not, I'm not quite sure. But I can't see a situation yet where he isn't playing for Man United, where I can see in a year's time, in two years' time, it's not going to shock me if a situation arises where Anthony Martial leaves the club. 
whether it's sort of in a good taste or he leaves in sort of a bad taste, I'm not quite sure. But I can see a situation where Martial goes and plays in Italy or plays in Spain where I mm. can't see that happening with Marcus Rashford. So for that point, I would have to say Rashford sort of definitely has the brighter future at United, even though sort of I do maybe value sort of the attributes a little bit differently to a lot of people. I do think Anthony Martial is the better footballer. But again, what is a better footballer? Marcus Rashford is producing, Martial's not. So fair play to Rashford. Well, how, that... how old's Martial now? He's 25 years of age. So, you know, he really should be hitting, well, approaching his best years. And yeah. unfortunately for him, it's just unraveled. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, look, a home, I was about to say home draw to West Ham, but an uninspiring win at home to West Ham, it is not going to get any prettier as we go away to West Brom. Um, any big changes for West Brom before we wrap up? Well, it's going to be a similar setup to what West Ham did, isn't it? Albeit less quality players. I think Cavani has to start. You know, as much as I love Tony, um, and I take your point about his performance today, I just think United look more dangerous. Cavani just has that instinct for when to move and how to lose his man, and that's why he gets more shots on at goal. Uh, Anthony Martial, as much as I like him, he just doesn't have that knack yet. Maybe he'll learn it, but I think for me that that's the only major change I'd make. And you know, I think Pogba's still going to be out. Unfortunately, you could see McTominay comes back into the starting lineup. Other than that, you just keep it as is. I think. Well, just on that, who are you picking just to wrap up last point of the podcast? Just um, Bruno picks himself, McTominay, I'm sure, walks back into the team, and rightly so. So that third man in midfield, um, I, I, look, I don't think it's going to be Van der Beek. I'd be shocked if that's the case. Yeah, I'd love a, it if it was. It's a flip of a coin between Fred and Matic to partner McTominay. Um, I'd go Fred. Um, yeah. As much as I like Matic, I think he slows United down with the ball. And that's really frustrating. Like today, he just he's he's in the final third, so I can't criticize his positional positional play. But he just dwells on the ball. He takes a bit too many touches at this point of his career for me. It's it's just a little bit frustrating. Yeah, no, definitely. I I'd be shocked if it wasn't Bruno, Fred, and McTominay. But that has worked big time for Solskjaer in the past. So fingers crossed, we can get our title challenge back on um, back on track against West Brom. Unfortunately, it is a 1am on a Monday morning kickoff for us here in Sydney, so um, bear with us on the Monday podcast. It could be some, some tired eyes, but um, we could have a chat about that and sort of liven up an uninspiring 1-0 win against West Ham, Larry. But on that, hopefully everyone did enjoy the podcast and uh, subscribe in their podcast app and follow us on all the social medias at UTD Pubcast. Truly appreciate all the support. Larry, have a good weekend. You too, mate. Um, hopefully discussing a fantastic win against West Brom. No, definitely. And hopefully we see some type, some type of resurgence from one matter. Can someone send out something just to make sure he's okay? I haven't seen any, any of the training photos. He's been vanished from the, the squad. Um, I hope he's doing well. So until then, have a good weekend and chat to you on Monday. All right, cheers. Cheers.